I'd like to think that we wouldn't be talking about the chief data officer in 10 years because the CEO will effectively be the CDO. The CEOs will be data-driven people and companies that succeed will be leading with data from the top down. And so everyone in the organization will be data-driven, CMOs, CFOs, everyone, because we will have enabled them to do that. Welcome to the Search and Succeed podcast. I'm Rob Glass, Managing Partner of Hunston Partners. We are so fortunate to share many journeys with some exceptional people throughout their careers, people whom are thriving in their area of expertise. And on this podcast, we'll be chatting with them about how they perceive and strive for success within their industry and their life. And always delighted to be here with the wonderful Joe Moore and David Cohen. I hope you enjoy. Our guest today is Brett Greenstein. Brett is first and foremost a great guy who always gives us the time of day and we love chatting with him generally. This is why Brett's clients come to him and why he's been such a fantastic leader of people. Brett has had a fantastic trajectory in his career through IBM, Cognizant, and currently as a partner within the cloud and digital practice at PwC. As you will hear through this very insightful conversation, a few notifications pop up, but as we know, Brett is a busy guy and we are privileged to have him on the pod. Welcome, Brett. It's wonderful to be with you guys all today, uh, talking about a topic we all love so much. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as as you know, the, the 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 title of the of the podcast is "Search and Succeed," and it's something that I've spoken about with you on many occasions. Every time we speak, not because of the title per se, but just because of what it means and how it impacts people to look for you know, the, the the direction that they're going in and the success that they look to have. I'm keen to come on and talk with you about, you know, you know, the, the data and the analytics function and the work that you do with clients. But I just wanted to get your first impression and thoughts on the phrase search and succeed. And, and, and when you hear it, what it means to you. Uh, it, it resonated to me in the sense that we each are on a path and a journey for ourselves. And so we're all searching for a place where we have purpose, where we um, have passion and get to work on the things we love to do with people who teach us as well as, you know, help us. And so I, I, I don't know, I felt like I've been on a journey my whole career looking for places to focus on data and analytics. I know that doesn't sound like something people wake up, you know, when they first graduate college. But once you see a data driven world and start thinking about the power of it, it affects all your job choices and all, all your assignments over the years. and. And um, so my very first projects were, you know, databases and data warehouses and analytics. And um, so I've continued to look for jobs where I could sort of unlock the value of data and do it in ways that also brought the kinds of activities and projects and interactions that I just love to have. So for me, this has been a never ending search. And I feel like I'm fortunate enough to have worked long enough in a field that is now incredibly hot. And I get to work with people who care so much about this topic and they deliver really strong business outcomes in a data-driven world that weren't possible, you know, 10 years ago and 20 years ago. How did your career move into the world of data and AI? I mean, clearly you mentioned there about how passionate you are about it. Is it something you personally navigated to get to, to get into it or did it fall in because of that passion? I think anyone who tells you they knew where they were going to be 10 years ago is, is probably not telling you the full truth. I, you tend to make choices, though, that lean towards the stuff you love to do, where mm. you believe it has an impact. Um, and I just always felt that uh, a data-driven business, the companies that use data effectively to make decisions are better than people who are doing the gut feel and spreadsheets and, 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 and crude analytics that people have been done for so many years. And when you see a really good example of it, you want to do it again and again and again. So once I started to see examples of, of where data was being used to make decisions, I started in manufacturing. Manufacturing is a very data-driven business. And I used to run a piece of equipment in manufacturing. And I went to my customer and said, look, one of my machines is running at 99.5% availability. 
The others were not. And I was so proud. I showed one machine working well. And he said, well, that's proof. The others can too. Do you understand why it works well? And I didn't. So it took me down a journey of just understanding how the data can help me make all machines as good as that one machine. And now I find that to be a true pattern in business. How do I make every customer service rep as smart as the smartest rep? How do I make every contract as good as the best contract? How do I make every decision about supply chain as good as the best decision? It's always data-driven. So I just feel like all the roads have always led back to the same pattern. It's just technology's gotten better. Do you find that that your personality is what lends so well to that space and data is all about facts and figures and it's there to see and it's there to teach you so much do you think that your personality makes you so pragmatic in your thinking as opposed to you know some people who try to i suppose think against the data in a way that makes them try to be a bit more creative in 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 a non-data format if that makes sense So um, when you work in this field, you'll find people who see the world through the data and other people just see the data. So my personality is part of, I look at the story the data tells you, I don't look at the data itself. And when I find other people who are like me and they they see the story, like what is the data informing them? They know how to ignore the extreme data. They know how to fill in the gaps in data because they see the larger picture, the context. So I find that data-driven people, especially chief data officers, tend to be those people who are not worried about individual data points, but really the the story that it tells the business. So when you see trends, when you see predictive models, when you see strange anomalies in data, you know how to sort of deal with them in context so you're not overreacting to the data. It's really easy to look at individual data points and get lost. And a lot of people, that's why it can sound like a dry topic, you know, looking at the the temperatures coming off of a refrigeration unit in a in a supply chain sounds really boring but what's really interesting is it trending is it spiking are there other events happening nearby that might cause a problem so it's really looking for the story how do i make sure that refrigeration is always good so the food never goes bad and there you're looking for everything that affects the data not just the data itself yeah for sure i thought of a couple of quotes i think i sent them over to you but the one that just jumped out at me was Without big data analytics, companies are blind and deaf, wandering out onto the web like a deer on a freeway, which was a, a chat called Jeffrey Moore. It just makes yeah. complete sense based on you know everything that we're talking about here. What does data mean to organizations? You started to, to talk about the chief data officer there, and we'll come on to, to them also specifically in a second. But uh, as far as organizations using data and understanding the value of it, how critical is it for them to use and get the data specifically and put it together for the sake of the analysis and the outcomes? You know, it depends on on the uses. Obviously, I hate that word depends because it's, it's such a vague answer, but it, it does vary quite a bit. Um, obviously, it sounds good to say we should always use the data, but it depends on if the data is accurate and also has any effect on the outcome. Mm. So a lot of people will collect a ton of data and they say, oh, the data tells me this or that but they don't know which data matters. They don't understand causality of data versus correlation. So they tend to just look at a large volume of data and think it means something. And so what I tend to look for is, is the data have a strong causal relationship with an outcome? Um, And therefore you should use it because you're gonna make better decisions. Whereas you could look at lots of data that's just a bunch of noise. It correlates to something but doesn't mean anything or the data is highly biased and inaccurate. In which case, should you make decisions based on it or should you clean it up and govern it? So it's not huge quantities of data that matter. It's not just always staring at the data. It's understanding is it high quality data? Do you trust it? And does it have a causal relationship to what you're managing? Like, does your pipeline have a causal relationship to your revenue? And most people would say it does, but is the data very noisy? Is there quality in it? Has anyone scrubbed it? How do you, how do you, account for the fact that maybe you have 50 deals that are all like $10 and then mm. one deal that's $10,000. Does mm. that 10,000 drive up the average and therefore your business is skyrocketing? Or is it, did somebody just type it wrong or put in a giant number to make themselves look good and skew all your other predictive models? Yeah. So really need the context and the story behind it in order to really put the, put the data to value, put it to use. Yeah. 
I was I just relate. gonna yeah, I was just gonna jump in at that point. I think yeah. that I think that's really valuable. I think in a world where we are, you know, we recognize the the value of data and you know the data-driven nature of a lot of decisions, there mm-hmm. there can be that drive towards more data as opposed to better data. And I think sometimes recognizing that you know that exactly what you're just saying there the drivers of the data is it causal is it correlating so actually recognizing that the importance of data is around that better quality data rather than just the the volume thing i I, i've seen that you know exactly what you're talking about there that interference that noise because people are of the mindset well we need more data more data rather than realizing that it's the better data even if that is a smaller you know a a subset so yeah i I just wanted to pick up on that because i've seen so often more data being the driving force as opposed to better. There's also the timeliness of data. Data has some data has more value um, within milliseconds of when it was created and almost no value an hour later. Um, other data has a different sort of life cycle to it. So understanding the time effect, like is something a leading indicator of something about to happen? So if you're driving down a highway and your headlights show you, you know, 200 feet ahead and the road turns 300 feet ahead, you know, are you going to see it in time to make that turn? Um, and then after you made the turn, that information is no longer useful. So this is the same and true in business. When you're making decisions on what, how many things to order, you need to know how long is the sales cycle ahead of it. So you're looking far enough down, far enough down the road to see the leading indicators of demand. So you're ordering in time to have supplies when you need it. Mm-hmm. And uh, timeliness and, and accuracy are really important. And is it that skill of colleagues and people that work for organizations that you've worked for, Brett, that enables the optimum outcome of useful data and I suppose non-useful data for, for argument's sake. Yeah. There's a there's a there's a, a balance of skills, I think, that makes a great chief data officer. Mm-hmm. There are those people who understand the the architecture, the technology of data, how you store it, data lakes, data warehouses, ETL, all that stuff. The IT aspects of it, how to build up a platform for data is very important. The data science part of your brain, if, you had, if you're had, if you a CEO, you're going to have three parts of your brain. One is going to be the infrastructure and IT side of it. Another part's data science. That's understanding the meaning of the data. Yeah. That's going to be things like understanding timeliness and causality and quality mm-hmm. um, because those people are building hypotheses on what the data means and then they test it and they, they have tons of insights around how to do analytics in a way that produces an output. But that third part of the brain is probably the most important part, which is the business side of it. If you leave data people to just go sort through data, they find random answers to random problems. But a a CDO who has a tight alignment to business knows what questions will have the most effect on the business. So if your business goals are to drive up customer loyalty, you're going to challenge your data scientists to find causal relationships between actions I take, pricing, discounting, marketing offers, anything I can do that will drive up loyalty. And you're going to challenge the data science team to go look at that. And they're going to say, oh, my God, I could do that better if I had better data. And they're going to challenge that architect team to bring in external data and to scrub the data and to fix it so that they can use the data better. So a CDO really knows how to balance those three dimensions really well. And people who try to do it entirely as an IT role or business role or data science role tend to miss that. So the, the chief data officer is a title that has only been around for so long. Um, we know that you work with a uh, full C-suite within you know, major organizations, uh, driving significant transformation and change for these businesses that are looking to go along their digital journeys. Is a lot of time now spent with chief data officers, specifically within these organizations, Brett? Absolutely. I, I would say that companies have adopted the CDO role Maybe 60% of our clients, large clients, have a CDO now in place. Some of them exist in the CIO office, and they're sort of the maturing of the data people into a CDO role. Um, but very often now, they're peers or you know related roles outside of the CIO function, and that's because of their tight alignment to the business you know teams. Mm. And uh, and and that role is usually given a mandate: make data more accessible, continue to make it high quality, you know, stay in compliance, but also create value from that data. Yeah. And so they're often focused on unlocking data where IT is often a cost center and has historically been trying to lock down the data. You want CDOs or tend to be challenged to make that data more unlocked. How yeah. do I give it to more people inside the business? How do I potentially monetize data? How do I deliver it in a way that the business can consume and create new you know, insights or new data products or improve their services? So it's, it's a role that's finding huge relevance. They have an agenda. 
They're hired for a very specific purpose. When you see a new CDO hired, they were given a mandate that is different than whoever was there before. They're brought in to change something. Right. So it's not a status quo role. And those people tend to have a transformational mindset. They feel challenged. They have to make big bets. They're almost always going through a cloud journey right now, yeah. this time. So um, a lot of challenges on the CDO role. And just, just to jump in there quickly, Brett, you talk about having a transformational mindset for a CDO. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, the ones that you've uh, worked with within your clients' organizations, the ones that you've been that you've seen maybe to be the most successful, what, what type of backgrounds do they tend to have? Have they grown up in industry? Have they come from consulting? Is it a mix of both? Because you talk about those, those three parts of the brain all coming mm-hmm. together to, to work in harmony to be as successful as possible in that role. What type of background do they tend to come from? Um, it's a tricky question because there's no one answer. I, do, I have seen IT people become good CDOs because they spent their career being very closely aligned to the analytics and the business consumption side mm-hmm. of, the, of, their, of their role. So if they've invested enough time understanding the business, they can make that transition into, into CDO role. And I've seen business people who had a very strong, usually coming in you know, from a strong analytics and reporting um, function within the business, you know, chief operating officer kind of offices or CFO functions where they had a lot of data and analytics experience and exposure tend to be good CDOs if they can rely on IT people to be architects. Um, I've seen people also coming in from consulting. So it's a, it's a wide range. It's a mix of skills. You'll often hear people talk about T-shaped skills. They're really deep in something, but have a broad range of knowledge across things. So mm-hmm. they've often provided many functions within their career, um, operating as you know in IT functions, running in the business, doing analytics, having a business you know, functional role. Those kinds of mixed skills form very good CDOs. And since it's a new role, you very rarely find anyone who was a CDO 10 years ago. Right. So it's it's by its nature a new set of skills emerging and not unlike what happened to CMOs. CMOs before the web mm. were just good marketers. But once they had to learn um, the impact of e-commerce and the MarTech stack, they became data-driven marketers. Yeah. And new, new style CMOs are totally different than CMOs of 10 or 20 years ago. And that's really interesting because often the CDO can sit at the top table or quite often that we see that they sit perhaps minus one as well when where do you think a cdo should sit within an organization and and how do you think organizations can set their chief data officer up for success so a lot of cios report through the coo or cfo and that's and and that dictates a lot of their behavior Mm. but i do find a cdo who's a peer of the cio reporting into similar operations or finance functions has the benefit of being able to be tied to the business outcomes. And so they tend to have more visibility to the KPIs that matter for the business when they sit there. If a CDO is all the way out in the business, then they then they become a silo. So you need yeah. to be reasonably centralized, close enough to the business outcomes. So the COO or CFO is watching the KPIs, they understand the investments and the return on investments. And so a CDO will be very focused on return on investment for you know, things around transformation for data. Um, I've also seen them under chief digital officers if a company has that. And that's a company that is driving a very heavy transformation agenda. And the C- chief digital officer works with CFOs and everyone else. So my assumption under COO, under CFO, under chief digital officer, appear to the CIO is a really strong structure. Yeah. Um, I remember speaking to someone six months or so ago who was a chief data officer. And again, it was... Um, he, he was sitting minus one from the C-suite and, and and kind of valued in that way as well. The company didn't quite see the value. You talked before about 60% of your clients now having a chief data officer, which I think has increased significantly even over the last six months, a year or so. Um, I, 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 because, of, because of the strength uh, and the importance of data within an organization, um, it seems to me like it's possibly one of the most important positions actually to be within a business. Um, do, do, do you think that it's something that, you know, within the next five years, that that 60% will be increased up to, you know, nearly 100 and, and it'll be even more valued within organizations? I don't know about the 100% because, you know, very few, few things become absolute, but it sure. will continue. It's continuing to grow. 
And in part, when you're in an industry where someone is disrupting you by using data, everyone else is then catching up. So um, I'm working with someone in, in, a, in the payments industry, for example, and their competitors are a little bit more digital, a little more data driven, and they're able to create better insights and products for their customers. And it's putting a ton of pressure on them to transform. Yeah. Um, a lot of companies over the last two years have been affected by supply chain. So anyone who builds stuff has been affected by a chaotic supply chain. Companies that had better predictive models, better understanding of supply and demand, a better ability to use end customer data to predict um, demand. We're substantially better at responding to changes and chaos in the supply chain. So they had competitive advantage. And I think when you're, when you're, you use that, that Jeffrey Moore quote before, if you're the only one who has the data, you have a substantial advantage, but very quickly other people will realize, oh, that's how you did it. Yeah. And they're going to yeah. want to do it too. Yeah. And so there's a, whether you're leading in your industry or rapidly competing and following, it, it's almost all roads lead back to being data-driven. And the ones who do it well are not just all the data, but focusing on the data that matters, getting it into the hands of business users who know how to make better decisions. Um, that's That change is just driving a lot of value for a CDO. One of the companies I work with was struggling with, they had a pretty good data environment, but very reporting driven, which means someone in the, some end user asks for a report, someone creates it, it goes through a bunch of batch processing, produces a report every week that they get. And they, they were always frustrated. They never had the report they wanted. It was always another report they needed and it was always delayed. They moved to a self-service dashboarding based model where Everyone got the data at the same time, the CEO down to the lowest person in the organization, same dashboard. It's just right there. That's what's happening right this minute. Revenue is this. Mm. And so then the company started focusing on predicting the metrics, not reporting the metrics. So if everyone gets the data at the same time and has the same insight, for example, about revenue, then when your CEO sees your data right now at this moment and you saw it at the same time, you better know why it is what it is before the data comes out, tend to move upstream and focus on the leading indicators of data instead of just what the report said. That's the kind of transformation CDOs can enable is getting the whole mindset of the business to focus on understanding the business better, what, what will happen next. So by the time the revenue is produced, you know, reported on in a dashboard, you already know it's going to be high or low and why and what you could do about it. Yeah. Other, yeah. Otherwise, you're going to be surprised because your CEO is going to see it. You see it at the same time. You're going to get a call five seconds later. Why is the revenue off? Yeah. You need an answer. It changes behavior really fast once you mm -hmm. move from reporting with a long delay to real-time delivery via dashboards. The behavior changes fast. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, in, it's interesting because it's what you're pointing out there is actually the data is the set of information, but really what's happening is it's the change in behavior. So that's the thing. It's a lever to create that change in behavior. Yeah. And what you want is a data-driven culture, which is yeah. enabled by real-time delivery of data, high-quality data, good insights, predictive models, and all that stuff. But you want a culture where people ask themselves, what is going to happen next? Why is it happening? What should I do about it? Rather than just waiting for results. And Joe, it's you know as if someone was going into a business where the C-suite realized that they need a CDO, but they they don't quite understand the value of it. And they were going into an environment where it's not necessarily a part of who they are. How, how Joe? I mean, with the coaching that you undertake every day, how do you find that you would advise someone, coach someone going into an environment like that, where, where they're going in and they don't feel valued? Yeah, where it's a, a, where um, the CDO is a new position and it's something that isn't maybe quite recognised within the company. Um, I think I think that the first thing is you know you were touching on before who the CDO reports into. And I think that's fundamental because that sends a very broad message to the organization of how valued data is. So the first thing is, you know, recognizing within an organization where they place that role shows how much they have a sort of an understanding of the impact that it can have. But I think with regard to, you know, how you coach people in that environment, if they're going in and they feel they're at the wrong, they're at the wrong level or if they feel that their role isn't fully valued. I think mm. it's all got to come down to communication. And, you know, some of the points that Brett has already point, um, uh, raised earlier about communicating that the data is the story, the data can change behavior, the data can give us a competitive advantage. All of those things, once you start to communicate that, 
it's even an organization that might have started out not recognizing the value of data is going to see that, particularly if you can illustrate with competitors why they're ahead, because they're using data in a certain way, they're capturing data differently, or it's arriving, you know, as you said, on people's desks more quickly. So it, so all of that is about communicating the importance. But I, I, I really think it starts from where you sit within the organization, because your ability to communicate and influence is often restricted by the level that you're placed in where you start. So, so for me, the, the key is where you sit within the organization, how much exposure you've got at that C-suite level to be able to communicate the impact that you can have. So I think I think my from a coaching side, it would all be about finding the way to have that opportunity to communicate the impact that can be had and then showing through illustration evidence of competitors or evidence from your past, how you might then be able to create that within the new organization. You know, there's some interesting dynamics. If a company had a CDO and now wants you to be the CDO, replacing that person, the questions are, why is that role being replaced? What did the other person not do? If a company's forming a first-time CDO and never had one, what mandate caused them to want to do that? And are you aligned and empowered and do they have authority to implement it? Um, and also, many CDOs now are moving from one place where they did it, and now they're a second-time CDO somewhere else. Mm. Those were hired because they did something great in the previous role. And now they're being hired to repeat that and do it bigger and better. So you have to ask yourself, why, why is the role created? Where does it report? What authority does it have? Mm -hmm. And also, you know, why were you chosen for that role? Um, yeah. do, do you think with with organizations, you know, because because there is more sort of more focus given to data within annual reports, because there's now this, you know, very, very substantial increase in CDO roles. Do you think there is a risk of organizations placing saying, oh, we need a CDO and not being able to answer those questions that you just posed? So, you, you know, almost saying, why have you got a CDO? Is it just, well, everyone's getting one, we think we need one. And there are going to no. be some organizations that don't actually know why they're, they are putting that role in place. Or do you think people are already, because it, it's early stage, as you said, you know, in terms of a role, do you think there is a general understanding of it? I, um, I don't think that's happening. And I, I think um, there's not enough hype. It's a very practical nature kind of role. And very few people would put that role in place if there wasn't a really strong need for it. So generally speaking, I haven't seen a CDO who felt like they were sitting in a job with a title but didn't have the authority because who would hire somebody into that role? And it's also, it requires a lot of effort to create the role. I do think there are other roles, I won't name them, that have been put in place because they're symbolic, because mm -hmm. they're important in an annual report. But I think when people are looking at data, they want to know what are you doing with data, not do you have a CDO. Mm -hmm. And so people need to talk more about how they're better understanding their customers, how they're using data to navigate the chaotic supply chains that exist, how they're using data to improve their sustainability, how are they using data to improve their workforce? Like those are things people talk about in annual reports that will give increased confidence for shareholders, but I've never seen a CDO role itself create that confidence. I think it's up to a CDO though to speak in, those, in that language and to be able to provide content and outcomes that will help enable that sort of stuff to show up in that annual report. What did companies do before the CDO then, Brett? Was it utilizing people like yourself to use the data as much as well as possible from an outside perspective? What, what did they do beforehand? So in part, there's a perfect storm happening between the emergence of cloud, some newer technologies around cloud data warehouses and data science, the maturity of AI. Before this, it was a wild west of data silos. You had a lot of people who just built a data warehouse or a database because someone asked them to. And then someone else asked for another one and they just created another one that wasn't connected to it. Um, a lot of point-to-point -point integrations and data flows, a lot of data quality issues. Um, and then people focused on reports as a way of getting stuff out of the data. And then once you had the ability to modernize on cloud, you had ability to consolidate some of the data silos that existed. Modern data, cloud data warehouses, for example, increase the ability to bring the data together, sort once, but share it in many different ways. Hmm. That hmm. creates a much more efficient way to, to use your data. New data governance tools and techniques have come in place. And then the growth of data science. Five years ago, data, as data science was really taking off, I know it's been around a long time, but it had a kind of a resurgence over the last you know, five plus years. And in that time, a lot of data science people emerged in the business and they started requesting data lakes and access to data that wasn't happening before. That put a lot of pressure on IT teams to then elevate the role of data. You can't just lock it down and treat it a department at a time now. You have to think about the value of the data, the enterprise, you get all these business users pulling on data 
demanding it. So you had some pull, you had some enabling with cloud and new technologies, and then you had just this awareness in the industry that um, AI and advanced analytics can be highly, you know, a competitive advantage for companies. Once you have that, um, you start to get some more pull. And then the pandemic accelerated all this because it accelerated cloud, and also it accelerated uncertainty. And uncertainty is mitigated by data and analytics. Sure. And so it sure. drove a tremendous amount of demand for just wanting to know what's coming, what's happening. Look at how much data we were all put in our face with the pandemic. We suddenly all became experts in predictive models. We wanted to know what's <laughs> going to happen in our town. It just made awareness more possible. And then people said, well, how could I do that for my supply chain? And also during the pandemic, when people were just running out of stuff on shelves, it made everyone, how could we run out of flour or paper towels? How, could, how can that happen in a modern world? But it's because we didn't have the dynamic data-driven systems in place to see changes in bit customer behavior early enough to be able to get the right supply. So I just, I think there's been a really a perfect storm of change, pull, yeah. push, enabling technology, and then the macro, you know, environment around us. Yeah. It, it kind of takes us back to the do it, do the, get the data and, and utilize it as early as you possibly can in every aspect. It's always the case, isn't it? What, 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 what do you think the future of the CDO role is within publicly listed companies? What do you think so it like? I, I already see it happening. There's a significant shift from pure CDO to a CDAO, okay. much more on analytics and consumption. It doesn't mean they do all the analytics, but there's a lot of work to do in sort of governing and enabling analytics and machine learning and AI. So I, I have CDOs all the time asking me for help, not just on data governance, but model governance. How do I make AI models, machine learning models, um, more robust and better trusted as they're used by more and more stakeholders in the business? So AI is a tremendous power, but um, as anyone who's ever tried to build a predictive model um, knows, you can easily get it wrong. And so making sure that these models being used for business decisions are high quality, that they have the data in the, in the right form and the right governance, and then managing the versioning of, of models over time. It's a hugely interesting area. And so CDOs are increasingly moving into the analytics and AI space. Yeah. And they're going to be needed to because of all the issues you've heard around bias and trust and, um, you know, around AI, those are very real issues. And they can be managed through methods and technologies and people who understand the right questions. It's at this point of the podcast that I'd like to mention a charity very close to our heart, Prevent Breast Cancer. Prevent Breast Cancer are very passionate about stopping the disease before it starts. Each year, we lose over 11,500 people to this disease. And for them, that is 11,500 too many. They promote healthier lifestyles, screening, and earlier diagnosis. As the only UK charity entirely dedicated to the prediction and prevention of breast cancer, they're committed to freeing the world from the disease altogether. In 2020, the government spent just 8.6% on preventative care and early detection of all diseases. We believe, and they believe, more needs to be done, which is why the research they undertake is absolutely vital. At Prevent Breast Cancer, they make sure 100% of their research funding is focused on preventing breast cancer for future generations. They work closely with the Manchester Breast Centre to collaborate with world-renowned experts in the field. Being situated at the only breast cancer prevention centre in the UK, the Nightingale Centre, they are right at the front line in the fight against the disease. And we are right behind them. There's going to be a lot of people listening to this who are in your space and know data and AI very well. There'll be lots of people listening to this who don't particularly know it well. I think the word data and analytics is an easy one to, to relate to, even in the simplest terms. How, how would you describe data relating and correlating to AI, to artificial intelligence? How do they, how do they come together? So AI and ML is effectively analytics, but it's trained on data rather than encoded by a person. So rather than saying, if this happens, do that. You actually feed an enormous amount of data in order to train a model, which is then used against new data to see what an outcome will be. 
And so they are intimately connected. Anyone working on AI ML solutions knows that 80, 90% of the work is data prep, getting the right data, getting in the right form, making sure it's clean, making sure it's you know useful in order to inform and train a model. Right. And so if you're relying on training models, not unlike training people, you need really good content in order to make sure people are well-trained and deliver great outcomes. It's the same thing with AI ML. And so that there's simply no way for AI to continue to mature without having a strong handle on your data and having you know the right uh, data governance and data preparation for it. Yeah, you know it's amazing how important data is to advanced technologies. I mean, we say AI, but you know it really is about what what technologies are going to look like as we go into the meta world and and how that then starts to uh, expand and, and and come into our lives more. Um, you know, that's maybe, I, I don't know what your thoughts are on Meta, or maybe it's for another podcast or not, but it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a whole new world, isn't it? You're talking about Metaverse specifically? Yes, the Metaverse, yes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so, the, I mean, the Metaverse is, is a great topic. It's its own topic here, it right? Is. It's a, mm-hmm. Yeah. But what's really interesting in terms of data analytics is that in our life right now, we can digitize this conversation. We can record it, we can transcribe it, we can translate it to other languages, but we have to take it from, this analog conversation into a digital realm and then do something with it. You can analyze it and say, how many times do we use the word data in this conversation? Like you can do that <laughs> with this. But in the metaverse, everything is digital to start with. And so not only do you not have to digitize all those analog interactions, but you can capture every interaction. In a metaverse, I would know where you're looking. And if you were in a, in a, in a VR store and you're looking at product A, I could even flash something over here to get you to look at product B. Very hard to do in real life, but in a metaverse, the entire world is digital, which means I can understand everything happening in it and also influence everything happening in it. So it becomes a really interesting data challenge and opportunity. Um, and it's still very, very early in that day. Yeah, sure. Just coming back to then to to data specifically, mm-hmm. you know, the, the phrase data is the new oil uh, is something that we've all heard for some some time now. I don't know if you. I don't know if you would like the phrase or not. But I, I had a look at it the other day. It was um, apparently it was a, a chap called Clive Humby, a British chap who, who coined it. Um, and, and obviously, oil. Uh, sorry, data has tremendous value. And he says, but if left unrefined, it's effectively worthless. But like oil, one of the downsides of data is the impact it has on the environment. What, in your opinion, is the downside impacts of data? So there's two things I want to say about this. One is I think on the data and oil part, there's a, a really strong difference that's always bugged me. And that is that oil is a finite resource. Yeah. The data grows you know, mm. logarithmically all the time. And so it's doubling faster all the time. So the amount of data grows constantly. And I think it's a little bit probably, I guess you could say it's more like solar, although I think solar output's pretty limited too, but at least it's always there and doesn't you don't use it up. But this refinement part is really important. And that is that just a lot of data is useless unless you know what it means. And so most companies, when they modernize their legacy data environments, they create a data model that's that's descriptive of what the data means. They build metadata around it. They build governance to, to, to qualify it and make sure that it's the right you know, uh, quality. And then they also bring it into new views and new ways of consuming it that are tied to business outcomes. All of that is the refining of data. Um, from its raw source, the ones and zeros, into something that means this is what a customer is doing, right? What a customer wants. This is where my my supply is right at this moment, and um, this is the risk for the next. So, turning that into into meaning is the whole value of that CDO role, and why they are more than technologists, um, and why that understanding of business is so important in that role. Yeah on that point, the positive and negative impacts of data and AI for organizations. It's like with everything, you know, there's good and there's bad. A little bit like when I'm talking to people about the positive and negatives about an organization, were they to want to move there, for argument's sake, when you're talking to your clients, do you talk about the positive and negative impacts of perhaps what it is that they're going to be bringing into their organizations? Yeah, there's. I mean, there's no question. You 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 touched on in the previous question, this, this idea that there's an environmental impact to doing all this work with data and AI. Obviously, there's a lot more data to work with, a lot more compute, more energy to be consumed. 
So all of that is is true. And I think it requires that people focus on the value that it creates mm. and making sure the value outweighs the costs of that. The same is true as the movement to in the movement to the cloud. Um, cloud is not necessarily cheaper than the on-prem environment they had. And even though you'll rationalize and clean up a lot of stuff when you move to the cloud, so maybe you start with a smaller footprint to start with, it grows over time the more you use data. And so a focus on value is really important. Um, and, and where you might've said that IT historically has been a cost-centric function, yeah. you focus on the cost as a percent of revenue, or you focus on the cost per employee, but in a in this kind of role, you have to look at the value the data provides and make sure that the value far outweighs the cost of, of providing it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, it sounds obvious, but it's it's a really hard thing to do yeah. because everybody wants something out of data, and they're always asking for more stuff. Um, I worked with one group where they had more reports than people, and it happened. Because- <laughs> I know it sounds crazy. It happened because over time people kept asking for a report and then they don't use it again, but it keeps getting generated. It keeps incurring cost, And then when something changes upstream, someone has to fix all that stuff. So you have to really have a mindset of being effectively using data and creating architectures that don't create this sort of bloat that can occur. Sure. That's why real-time delivery via dashboards is better than reports um, because reports accumulate over time. Dashboards can be live. Now, dashboards can also be not used, but a good organization will watch the usage of it and migrate it to other things or sunset. Or, I mean, they, they watch for that. And it's a constant evolution, right, with your clients, yeah. with with organizations for, for, for exactly that. Just just moving on to um, a few points around uh, the, the succeed side of, who, of, of, of this conversation, Brett. We, we talked on a previous podcast about success and success means so many different things to so many different people, right? I mean, um, it doesn't have to mean how well you do at work or how much money you earn. And, 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 you know, it could be what you do at home and your family life. I remember a colleague of mine once saying to me, Rob, do you run towards success or do you run away from failure? And I remember thinking, well, hang on a sec, which is the negative one? But, but actually both of them are quite positive, but there are two different types of people. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to know which which person you are, Brett, out of those two. Wow, I didn't expect such a personal question. That's a hard one. I I think of it. I think of it differently. I to me, I'm always moving towards um, impact. So I think data analytics and AI has an enormous impact on society. Not always a positive one. I fully recognize the risks and dangers you know associated with AI, for example. However, I think the benefits far outweigh the risks, mm. and it requires really, really. Um, smart people who are well-informed about business and technology to help guide it. I would love to continue to work on driving a positive impact on my clients, on society, on just life with data and analytics and AI. And I think uh, it's a phenomenal challenge. A lot of people I know who work in DNA, data analytics, are moving because they feel a pull towards what they view as a future state, which is significantly more powered by analytics and AI. And they feel a pull towards that. It's a it's a gravity. Um, it's it's almost an entropy. It's a force. And so most people are moving towards that. I I don't think you can look at this as moving away from failure in the sense that every project you do, some of them work well, some don't, but you learn something. And if you're learning how to get more value out of data, then I consider it successful. I've had bad database projects, you know, in early days, not now. But you, I've had them. <laughs> but you learn from them, and then you bring that learning. Usually, those learnings are around people, organizational change management, setting expectations, skills, talent, mindset. Usually, it's those things, but there are also architectural failures and other stuff. But most people in this space are just constantly learning and constantly moving towards a, a vision and, a, and an aspiration of enabling an effective use of data to drive really powerful decisions that bring better outcomes. It's in, it's interesting because we've we've known each other for a while now, Brett, right? And we, there's obviously been a quite a clear evolution throughout your career. Um, and whenever I, I think about that evolution, whenever I think about the type of individual you are, and when we've had these types of conversations in the past, I think success for you has always been defined from a from a business perspective. It's put personal life and family life out, outside of this for now. Um, from a business perspective, it's all always been about creating 
as you say, using that word impact for clients. Um, and it makes sense the, the role that you've now find yourself in, um, mm-hmm. where you know you put other aspects of, of executive level roles aside in order to just be in front of clients, delight clients, and create significant change and impact within their organizations. Yeah. I think when you think back on the things that meant something to you during your work, I, I think a lot about things I did that are still there or that caused change or that caused other people to change. And you collect those memories and those moments and they they inform you on how to drive change in the future. There are some people who really like to manage something, just run something that is in existence and just kind of refine it. But I really like things that cause change, a change in behavior, a change in outcome, a step function improvement in a business. So the introduction of analytics, for example, that helps you to improve, you know, uh, your 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 wait times for a client for an order. That sounds like a very minor thing, but we, it, it has a huge impact and it's a staying power because once you've done it, it can be used for other products. It can be used in other industries. It can keep being used and keeping you know elevated. So I, I I do love these analytic and data driven outcomes. And over the course of my career, there's just been a lot of moments of that. And then the cumulative effect of that, I feel like you know you look back, you feel you had an impact. It feels good. Yeah, and you, there's no doubt that you're having a great impact, Brett. Um, and we hear that a lot, not just from you, but also people that work with and for you uh, and, and your style. I think to be able to wake up every morning and talk about something that you're really passionate about and that you really love, not just because of what it is, but actually the impact that it actually and the and the difference that it makes on people and organisations, um, you know, is is. Is amazing, and I, I, I've no doubt that there's a lot of people that that would like to be in your shoes as far as being so passionate about something that has that has such great impact. Um, you know, so on that point, though, there are so many people in this space, and very passionate, um, inspired people who share all the time. So I learned from so many people in this firm, but also through clients and others, and just a network, of, a growing network of people who care about it and can see the value of data and are sharing best practices and innovating and publishing. I just, you look at even the things that are being available, made it available online, you know, um, uh, OpenAI recently released ChatGPT, you know, for free for people to experiment with and to play with. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things like that that have been coming out over the last several years. And I think it's causing just a great interest in people who are picking up data science late in their career, wanting to learn it, or inspiring people who are in college or coming out of college, just dying to work on this stuff. Or young associates who just want to learn new things, I, the learning in this space is the exciting part because yeah. it's a changing set of technologies. It's rapidly evolving. The people in it and are growing. The number of people working on it, and they're also learning and sharing with each other. So it's just a, it's a phenomenal community to be a part of. And when we talk about change and evolvement, mm-hmm. it, you, I, I find you to be quite a visionary, Brett, in your thinking. What 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 do you think it? If there's no answer to this, but what, what do you think it looks like in 10 years when it comes to organizations and how they utilize their data and their analytics and the impact that that then has on their technology? The time frame is interesting. I 10 years is actually a good window to pick. I'd like to think that we wouldn't be talking about the chief data officer in 10 years because the CEO will effectively be the CDO. The CEOs will be data-driven people and companies that succeed will be leading with data from the top down. And so everyone in the organization will be data-driven, CMOs, CFOs, everyone, because we will have enabled them to do that. And at that point, you're going to have companies that are you know, efficient, effective, responsive, agile, thoughtful, personalized to the experience of the customers. And um, you know, it, it feels like a world I want to be a part of. And I, I think you will see CEOs becoming that kind of leader, the same way that e-commerce eventually led to an entire you know, group of CEOs who were entirely e-commerce first kind of people. And right. that's what made the whole web economy. Same thing happened with you know, net, the network economy through social. Now this data-driven economy through CEOs who are very data-driven, yeah. um, I just think it's a very exciting time coming up. And I just jump in on one point that I found really interesting about what you're explaining, you know, about that continual learning. 
we talk about data um, as being like that enabler for business. It's very much, you know, allowing us to make different decisions to, to be more informed. But actually what I, I think is really interesting from what you were saying, because of the nature of people and the pace at which the, the whole world of data is evolving, you're always in learning mode. I think what's really interesting is the impact on organizational culture that that will have, because you're shifting people in a very different way, because if everyone's all about learning, you really move the culture of an organization as well. So although it's the data is the underlying information that enables decisions, it's actually much more than that. We've talked about the impact it has on behaviors and now thinking about that learning cycle, the impact it has on the overall culture as well. I just thought that was really interesting how you think of it as, as you said earlier, Rob, you know, the facts, the numbers, all that kind of information, but really it all comes back to that human aspect, to the behaviors and the culture as well within that. I just think that's a really yeah. interesting point that you're raising about learning. It is. And I, I think it's really hard because, um, People have a, a, an incredible fear of data because they don't understand it. They don't understand the technology. It sounds hard. They don't know how to get the data to make some meaning. So there's a lot of resistance built up in people's inability to work with data or just fear of it. And so breaking down the fear, making it easy for people to use data is probably one of the biggest challenges of the CDO. Providing a data warehouse and a bunch of APIs and a bunch of you know, complex tools is not going to solve the problem providing insights to people in the moment they need it that are powerful and data-driven insights means the whole organization uses the data. Yeah. So if I ask you, um, how do customers feel about our product? You could go out and search through customer service records and all that stuff, but shouldn't I be providing to you a sentiment of your product all the time and why it's going up and down? Like that would be a great data-driven approach rather than asking mm -hmm. you to crawl through the data and find out what it means. Because very few people have that ability to sort through all that numbers and find meaning. So you need people who can to provide it to the wider range of people who make decisions. So everyone in your company, in a company, should know the sentiment on your products all the time. And if it suddenly goes up or down, why it happened? What external factors? Who tweeted something bad? Who did something that caused it to be perceived differently? All of those things you care about as, as a business leader. and we can't expect everyone in, in the organization to have to crawl through the data to find that. So I think it's a, it's a really interesting culture change. People talk about data literacy and it doesn't mean you know how to do SQL code. It means you know what the data means or the questions to ask that someone can then provide the insights for. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's brilliant. And I think it, it ties in so nicely with you know, what's, what's important to us um, from a people perspective and people succeeding uh, and, and and you, Brett, from the impact that you have on your people and around the subject that you're so passionate about. And I, I reckon that we could probably continue talking for another couple of hours, but I don't think we can. Um, but, you know, just, just you touching there, Brett, on the success of people coming into um, the data and AI uh, domain, um, and also the success of companies and how how they can get the best out of what they have at their fingertips, but how they get it, how they get it out, and how they use it. Um, it's going to be super interesting to see the growth of the chief data officer. Um, I'll, I'll I'll ask you. I'll ask you now, Brett. For ten years' time, we'll do another podcast where the CDA will be the CEO. Um, and, and we'll see, hopefully it comes true. Um, but you know, we wanted to thank you so much. It's been, you know, an amazing hour spent with you. I think you've been incredibly insightful, um, and, and you've articulated it just so well. It's, uh, I've learned an incredible amount. So thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much, Rob, Joe, David. I really appreciate the time to have the discussion and talk about something I'd naturally love to talk about. So thank you. Thanks, Welcome. always a pleasure. Thanks, Brett. What a conversation that was. We learned so much from Brett, and he was so inspiring. Thank you for listening to the Search and Succeed podcast. Please subscribe and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. We'll see you on the next one.